الجزيرة بودكاست There was a time, just over 30 years ago, when girls in Northern Ireland would die to have a pair of Levi's blue jeans. They were American, they were expensive, and they were all the rage. I don't know why this stands out in my head. When you're a teenage girl, the clothes stores are just your world. You revolve around this. <laughs> Levi jeans were a big, big thing for us here, and the, the store had brought them in, and we wanted to buy them. So Leona, then a schoolgirl and now a journalist in Northern Ireland, started saving, squirreling away her pence and pounds. And one Friday, she realized she had just enough to head to the store. And we went down on the Friday evening and the shop had been firebombed and all the jeans were destroyed. Mm. And I just remember standing there outside where smoke rose from this. And it was just, you know, it was very difficult to have dreams in Northern Ireland back at those days. You're, you kind of live from one day to the next. There was very little hope. 25 years ago, Northern Ireland tried to end the violence by signing the Good Friday Agreement. But can Northern Ireland keep the peace today? I'm Alika Bilal, and this is The Take. I'm talking with Leona O'Neill, an independent journalist based in Belfast. Welcome back, Leona, to The Take. Where am I reaching you today? I'm in Derry, which is the second largest city in Northern Ireland. We call it Derry. Catholics call it Derry. Protestants call it Londonderry. Welcome to Derry, Northern Ireland's legendary walled city. I'm currently here sitting outside Londonderry. The city of Derry. That's not it, man. The city of Londonderry? It's not it either, man. It's a lovely city right beside Donegal, beside the coast, beside beaches, a beautiful part of the world. You should come visit sometime. Actually, I well, you said that and I, I had to stop because I have <laughs> and I loved it. You're also very close to the border, right? Yeah, the border's about perhaps a mile away from where I am right now. Back in the old days before the peace agreement was signed, there were, you know, army installations. We would have had border checkpoints, army there checking vehicles going past. A generation of children has grown up knowing only one world, a world of barricades, bullets and barbed wire. It's changed times. We don't have anything like that. It's completely seamless border now. Which is the reason, of course, that we're talking to you. 25 years ago, the Good Friday Agreement, also known as the Belfast Agreement, was signed. And it promised peace in Northern Ireland after decades of violence. More than 3,600 people died. What do you remember before April 10th, 1998? Yeah, so I was born into the Troubles. An ongoing tragedy the world has come to call the Troubles. I don't know why they call it the Troubles. You know, this epic war, just the Troubles. It's a very Irish thing, you know, when someone dies. In Ireland, you say, uh, I'm sorry for your troubles. The conflict that took all of those lives was between those who wanted Northern Ireland to stay part of the United Kingdom and those who wanted to be part of the Republic of Ireland, all under the guns of the British military. I remember someone coming from France to visit, and I asked them, what color is the uniform that your soldiers on your streets wear? And they were like, we don't have soldiers on our streets. I thought everyone lived like this. Do you remember what it was like the day the Good Friday Agreement was signed? 
Yeah, so I would have been around 21 years old. I was living in Belfast, living with my boyfriend, now my husband. And we had decided we were going to go and live in America or Canada or somewhere else that would offer us a future that mm. was not like the past. Mm. If we were to have any children, I didn't want them growing up like we did. So I remember even in the week leading up to that, I'm thinking we're going, we're, I'm not staying here. And A historic day at Stormont after two years of talks and after a generation of bloodshed and decades of division and acrimony, what the whole island hopes will be a new era of peace. The two Prime Ministers emerged just before six this evening to inaugurate the historic agreement they hope will usher in a new era for the island. And in the days after, I remember trying to kind of get used to peace. Promise of a peaceful future and the promise of prosperity. And this is going to make Northern Ireland great and a beautiful place to live and we're going to stop killing one another. That made me stay. And I remember watching it in the news and it was very emotional, even as a 21-year-old. So if you were to walk out of your house right now in Northern Ireland, you wouldn't see soldiers on every corner You don't have military checkpoints. So taking the 25-year view, has the peace agreement worked at keeping the peace? It has worked. It has worked in bringing us peace. It's a very imperfect peace. There are times when the peace can be really threatened. There's this term that politicians love, peace dividend. When there is peace, economies are expected to do better. Has that happened Well, yeah, it has. I mean, when I look at our city centre, for example, and when I look at my son who's 18 and he goes into town, there are shops everywhere, there's a lot more prosperity and there are a lot more hope, there are a lot more opportunities for people of his age. So, yes, it has paid off. The Good Friday Agreement has paid off. But there are still some areas, working class areas, that those peace dividends haven't actually reached yet in the way that they should have done over the 25 years. And there's still a lot of poverty there, societal problems and unemployment and the lack of hope. And then, of course, they've kind of been sucked into paramilitaries. Dissident Republicans were blamed for petrol bomb attacks on successive nights of rioting. Paramilitaries rooted in the sectarian bloodletting of a past 30-year conflict. So it's a bit of a vicious circle around those kind of working class areas. We've come so far, but we still have so far to go. Mm. When you talk about so far to go, the militant group's holdovers from the Troubles, are they growing? They seem to be growing. When I look at some of these groups, they're in their 20s. They were born into peace. They weren't like me, born into the Troubles. And they're they're embracing this kind of militant activities that could possibly lead to violence. We have dissident Republicans on the Republican side who do not want peace. They want a free Ireland. They want the English tie in eradicated. Then we have loyalist paramilitaries who seem to be growing also in numbers filled with young people who want the tie with Dublin and the Republic of Ireland eradicated. So these two kind of gangs, I suppose, of people are, are, are working on the periphery of all of this. And that's a fear that they clash with one another and then the sectarian violence springs up again. And you mentioned a few labels there which harken back to the time of the Troubles. So just to explain, the Republicans fought to join the Republic of Ireland and in British rule and the Loyalists or Unionists fought to stay in the United Kingdom. 
Yeah, there's still a hangover from from those times. And I'm sure it's because of the damage that was done to society here. But yeah, these people are not acting on behalf of everyone. Certainly not in the same scale as it was during the Troubles, but it's still there, bubbling under the surface. The story of how things bubbled up very recently after the break. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It's been 25 years since Northern Ireland's Good Friday peace agreement was signed. And journalist Leona O'Neill says many lives were saved. But there are still occasional incidents of violence, even today. So the terror threat level recently moved from substantial to severe. What does that mean? So, yeah, it was moved to severe after the shooting of a police officer in Northern Ireland where he was shot when he was at a football match with his young son, very severely injured. This is a major police operation to find those who try to assassinate their colleague. Detective Chief Inspector John Caldwell. Police say their primary focus for this shooting is the new IRA, a group of dissident Republicans who want a united Ireland. The threat level is severe. That basically means we can expect more terror attacks. Back in 2019, Leona witnessed another incident that shocked Northern Ireland, the death of journalist Lyra McKee. I was standing beside my journalist colleague, Lyra McKee, when she was murdered. This is the gun used to kill Lyra McKee. Lyra McKee was a 29-year-old journalist from Northern Ireland. Um, in, in Craigan, where I'm from here in Derry, a riot had started in a housing estate. And a dissident Republican gunman fired just indiscriminately up the street at that riot towards police uh, vehicles. And Lyra McKee was hit. She was hit in the head and she died. A single bullet killed the 29-year-old journalist while she was trying to do her job during a riot in April last year. So I was standing beside her and, um, you know, tried to help and stuff. Uh, but unfortunately, she, she died and it was a tr- such a tragedy. At that time, there was a kind of a total instability with the government as well. And whenever the government is down and we have no sort of leadership and nobody pushing us forward, malicious groups do tend to fill that void. And that is what happened there. And, you know, this four year anniversary now coming up actually on the 18th um, of Lyra's death. We find ourselves in the same position where we have no government in Stormont. We have a void there and it has been filled again by malicious groups. We need leadership. We need to move forward. And it's really uh, strange to me, actually, that we're celebrating the Good Friday Agreement here now. When we don't have a government, our terror threat level has risen to severe and we need to get back on track. And hopefully this kind of looking back at that time, at the Good Friday Agreement, will help us to kind of move forward and realize where we came from and where we need to be going. Do you think that it ever causes people to wonder whether or not the Good Friday Agreement might hold? Yeah, it does. We kind of circle this abyss constantly. And every so often we tip over, but we don't fall completely on this. There's always the fear there, particularly people of my generation who do not want to go back to those dark days. Yeah. Is there anything specifically about the Good Friday Agreement, which essentially 
laid out a new system of governing that has kept Northern Ireland from actually growing? Well, I suppose the some of the stuff within the Good Friday Agreement meant that Catholics and Protestants who had spent so long fighting one another had to share governing as well. That was always going to be very difficult and there's no other way to do that. But it has given us this constant kind of chaos. They don't agree with one another. They, they come from such different perspectives. Republicans on one side who had the IRA and the IRA killed people from, you know, the other side, the Protestant side, in the same way that some of the Unionist side had the loyalist paramilitaries who killed people on the Nationalist and Republican side. So we're coming at this, carrying all this baggage with us, jammed together to make this work. So of course there's going to be problems along the way. We have monumental blips on the road along the way. We didn't have government for three years. We don't have government now for almost another year. What the Good Friday Agreement has given us, given us peace, so we have to work together. But it's that working together that's the problem. You've been talking to young people who were born after the Good Friday Agreement. What are people talking about now, 25 years later, whether they were babies at that time or not even born? Yeah, I mean, young people, my children are 20, 18 and, and younger. They see images on the television the same way people from perhaps outside here would see on the television of old times in Northern Ireland. And it's, that was in the past. That doesn't impact me now. Um, but every so often, I suppose, there's some sectarianism there. Even with regards to like Derry, Londonderry, if you say Derry, it automatically identifies you as a Catholic. And that can cause some problems or there's some people that maybe have an issue with that still. But young people, they just are full of enthusiasm about this place. They love this place. They want that they work. Some of them want to leave here too, though. Some of them perhaps maybe who are closer to that in society. They maybe see things that they don't agree with. The shooting of police officers and stuff like that, that would maybe, that would have an impact on them. They think, what is going on here? Are we going back to this place? We also heard from a few young people in Northern Ireland. Zachary Hutchinson is 24 and was born in September 1998, just months after the Good Friday Agreement. I live on the north coast of Northern Ireland and I come from a Protestant background. And peace has become a profession. He works in reconciliation projects now, but he remembers when he first understood how precious peace was in 2008. The peace agreement had been in place for 10 years already and there was a shooting. It was reminiscent of the bad times. A shooting of a police officer, the first by a paramilitary since the signing of the Good Friday Agreement. And there was this sense, and even as a 10-year-old, you felt it, this sense of like, are we slipping back into the past? Are we slipping back into the troubles? And it was in that moment that I kind of realized, oh, the fact we're slipping back, it made me realize the troubled past. Joshua Murray is a Catholic who was born two months after Zachary. It was seven months after the signing of the Good Friday Agreement. And he still remembers soldiers in the streets, until 2007, when they finally left. The last Scytharmar patrol deplanes at Bestbrook Mill. Once the busiest heliport in Europe, it and the base itself closed down. And it was almost like just one day they were gone, from a child's perspective anyway. These days, Zachary is starting to worry a bit more because of things he's heard and the recent attack on the police officer. I never really used to worry. I guess I have began to worry a bit more. 
about violence coming back, but just due to the threats of violence that have been verbalised. And I suppose with maybe just being a bit older too, kind of has resorted to me being a bit worried that actually we live with a a fragile piece, that Northern Ireland is still a fragile place that is growing and is maturing, but it is still fragile. And Joshua has realised the peace he wants is something that can't just be brought about by an agreement. It's something people have to work for too. I don't think that violence will ever come back, but it is something that can never be taken for granted. As for Leona, she says a return to violence is not something these young people or anyone else wants. There's only a small minority of people who want to drag us back to those times, and they're way, way over here, way out of their vision. But most of the people are very positive and love this place with a burning passion. I love Northern Ireland. We have peace, we have prosperity, we have people investing in Northern Ireland, we have people believing in Northern Ireland when there was none of that when I was growing up. Nobody believed in this place. There was no hope. So we have hope, we have prosperity, we have peace, but we still have a long way to go. So, Leona, um, did you ever get the jeans? I did. I got the jeans. (laughs) Years later, years later, but I eventually got them, yeah. Yeah, that was a big thing. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters with Miranda Lynn, Ashish Malhotra, Chloe K. Lee, Khalid Sultan, Nagin Oliai, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Adam Abugad and Munira Al-Dosari are our engagement producers. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back on Monday.